0: We love that sound we love the music it is crouch man coming to you on this wonderful mid-april of 2010 i hope you are doing super fantastic out there we have an action-packed show today and let's just jump right into some of the fun things that are going on out there you may hear me a little nasally here my doggone allergies are just kicked up something fierce and they're on me. So I'm feeling good, but that nasally sound, those would be the Crouch Man's allergies. You know, we often talk about life is a precious, precious gift, and oftentimes we forget that we need to treat it just that way, that it's precious, and we need to treat it as such. And a couple of sessions ago, we've discussed a little things on personal mission and vision statements and how those personal Statements need to be moved over also into your business world. And then, of course, we want to drive some of those personal visions and mission statements, right, with our values, beliefs, and our ongoing perspectives as it relates to those. And so today we're going to talk about six very specific disciplines that oftentimes are, are glossed over because we know one thing, that success always involves personal fulfillment, and you are the only truly, right? You are only truly fulfilled by by essentially counterbalancing your actions. But, but they have to be in harmony. They have to be in sync with your personal purpose in life. And so as we jump into those six disciplines, we're excited uh, today to actually have a woman that spent a tremendous amount of time finding herself, uh, having fun at a wonderful state university. We we like to call it the Devils of Arizona State, who found herself moving through the process of of discovery and led herself into the entrepreneurial world. And we're excited to have this morning Chatel Walters of Desert Garden Montessori share some of the insights on not only what Montessorian school life is like, but also what led her to be the entrepreneur that she is. Uh, this morning, please welcome Chatelle Walter Chatelle, are you with us this morning?
1: I'm here. Hi, Scott.
0: Hello, hello. We're excited to have you on. So so tell us, you're in Arizona State University, lots of funds and lots of things going on. What in the world led you to want to start a school?
1: Well, it certainly wasn't in my plan, but like so many of us, it's not always our plan. We have to follow a passion, um, but I had children, and I needed to put my son in a school. And I looked, searched high and low, and I could not find a place that really spoke to me or gave me peace of mind or had me feel like it's really going to foster the best for him. And we all have to find the best for our kids. That's our job as parents. So um, being the kind of probably energetic and Um, excited person that I am I had to do something about it so I started a school in my home with about 12 kids I would say and um, so there it went and I think it was really all of my talents rolled into one and really became my passion so here we are 14 years later and um, thousands of families later and thousands of children later um, that we've I think made a difference in the community so that's the humble beginning of my story.
0: Well, tell walk us through. There's 12 children. You decided to start your own school, and you went Montessori. Can you define this Montessorian philosophy?
1: Well, it's a, a philosophy of learning. A lot of people think it might be a religion or a cult or something like that. It isn't. It's just a method of teaching. It was a philosophy created over 100 years ago by Maria Montessori, and she began in the slums of Italy. And really, the intention or the basic realm of the philosophy is hands-on learning. So you learn by doing, and you experience things in your world by actually touching, feeling, smelling, tasting it, applying it, um, taking it apart, putting it back together. And that's how children learn. That's how a lot of adults learn. So it's a developmentally-based philosophy, And um, really, it fits my lifestyle. And when you read about Montessori or you hear of Montessori, if that's how you think, um, you will hear about it and see it and say, wow, that's what I've been looking for. And so for me, that was the perfect fit. I really believe in kids learning through experience and um, children learning by doing and testing it out and trying it. And I don't believe in memorization and regurgitation Um, I'd rather have depth of learning and an excitement for learning. So that's why uh, Montessori was my chosen path.
0: Well, flipping to the entrepreneurial side, though, why not just have a charter school, sort of a more mainstream school? What really drove you to the Montessori school startup?
1: Well... um, Okay, so the reality of the entrepreneur side is um, sometimes ignorance is bliss. I didn't know what I was getting into, but I did know that it was my passion and it was the right thing to do. So I think if you're on that track, whoever you are and whatever you're doing – you find the strength, the energy, and the perseverance to fight through any obstacles. And in order to do something right, sometimes it's not about, most often it's not about the shortcuts or finding funding through charter opportunities or getting government dollars because you may in some way have to compromise um, the right way of doing something. And so there was no intention to dilute experience for the children or to compromise what I was offering them. And so in order to do that, I had to fight pretty hard to have everything we have today along with other passionate parents um, to create an authentic Montessori school that can maintain its authenticity by um, really getting um, funding or opening doors um, and opening doors through business or what have you or creating a space. Uh, building a building, um, getting funding from the bank, whatever it took to make sure that we preserve the philosophy to its true integrity. Because as you start to um, dilute something or dilute the process, you dilute the experience for the kids, the families, for everybody. So I was was very persistent. I think all those stubbornness skills that I had as a child really came in handy when I opened the school. Um, There was a lot of roadblocks. So, And I did not go to school for business, by the way, which is a good thing,
0: I think. <laughs> well, it's clear that you're living your mission and clearly making your vision come to fruition. Uh, we talked earlier in the program that life is precious and we need to treat it that way. And certainly with our children, uh, they're precious little gifts to us as parents. Walk us through a little of, of if someone comes in in the preschool, uh, I know that's not the Montessori vernacular, but... but But what does that process look like? There's, like, some cycles that they go through?
1: Are you talking about for the child or the parent?
0: For the child.
1: Um, Absolutely. You know, we enroll children here from infant all the way up through middle school, so we have a full range of programs. But when a child enters our school, depending on where they start, it's typically a three-year cycle within a developmental phase. So they're called planes of development. Children are in their infant plane of development. They can be in their um, toddler plane of development, their three to six, which is their preschool or primary plane of development, uh, elementary and so on. And in each plane of development, it's broken up into three-year cycles or three years of curriculum, if you will, because children truly move developmentally and I'm talking in generalizations here obviously there's kids that spill out on either side either ahead of or behind but Montessori meets the child where they're at but it is sequential it is developmental for example to make it very concrete it's easy when a parent has an infant to know well goodness gracious of course the child is gonna sit up before they actually walk or before they run um, as they get older, it's harder to see those developmental stages. But Montessori is really taught by the developmental needs of a child. So um, for cycles, they may come into a program, and a primary program, which is a three to six age, and they come in as the, the youngest ones, the three-year-olds. Their world is seen through practical life and pouring and spooning and exposing themselves to all parts of the curriculum, but they're just in that very sensitive period to play um, and to learn through um, watching others, so they are given lessons and uh, they learn beginning, middle, and end skills, which are very important skills for life, Um, and then as they move into their second year, which is when they're four, um, they get richer into curriculum with math and sciences, geography, and then as a A five-year-old, they're maybe the leader in that classroom. So not only are they getting that full spectrum of curriculum and learning to read um, and learning their math from a concrete way, and they learn the whys, not just the hows but the whys, but then those older kids get to teach the younger children. Um, And those mentoring and leadership skills are fostered at an incredibly young age. And these kids, they're not afraid they can public speak. Um, they can stand in front of a crowd of 300 and, and talk without having fear. Um, so these are all the skills that happen um, at these very young ages. So I don't know if that helps kind of. There's so many layers, Scott. I can't even start to unfold all the layers. So,
0: Well, it sounds, though, that you have the actual modeling habit already in place at a very young age. You work in the thankfulness and gratefulness habits. How do you handle the nutritional aspect? Because it seems like in most public schools oftentimes you wonder what in the world they're eating. And uh, as a father of four and uh, blessed to have our children going to uh, your Montessori school, they they tend to have some wonderful meals. Walk us through your preparation and your meal process. Well,
1: it's significant um, Significant piece of what's happening for our children today is obesity and health issues and all the things we're doing and government and what have you about health reform and all that stuff but let's get to the basics folks we've got to talk about our kids how are we going to make a difference and for us um, we made it in a very tangible way we have a 100% organic um, food program it's not just lunch It's it's food it's all their snacks it's their dairy it's everything that they eat and um, our goal is to teach children about our earth to teach where things actually grow from seed to table so how do you plant something how do you nurture it and grow it and then you use it for food um, so it weaves in sustainability but these kids here are eating um, spinach and quinoa and beets and um, you know soybeans and all kinds of things that I think they're teaching the parents how to eat healthier. And for me, you know, my big soundbite is where does a Cheeto grow? And people laugh when they hear that, but the kids know you can't grow a Cheeto. It's processed in a factory, but you can grow a radish. And so our kids are, are teaching our parents. And this is a true story. Before I started my organic lunch program, I used to have 15 to 20 kids lined up every winter with breathing treatments, with albuterol and Sopinex. I'm sure a lot of you listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm down to maybe two a year. It's a significant change in their health, and that is huge. So it's not just educating the mind. It's, it's, it's your diet. Um, it's the diet of the mind. It's, it's all woven together. So that is of paramount importance. And if you um, are not doing that, I encourage you to do that for your kids.
0: Well, I think the other exciting thing should tell, with with the, as it relates to this this nutritional side, you actually have a garden there on campus, do you not?
1: Oh, absolutely. We have a garden here. We have eight beds. We have two composts. So the kids bring in their scraps from home, and we create the beautiful rich dirt that we use again to to grow our seeds, um, and it's all organic. But You know, it's a small, humble beginning, and even whoever it is, you don't have to have a huge garden. You can plant in pots, but the important thing is to do it, and our goal is to have a community garden and have um, families gardening with their kids and growing food. It's not that hard. You don't have to go out in those expensive stores to buy the organic food. We grow it right here. Um, we supplement from local farmers, but our goal is to have 100% of our food that we have, our produce, grown right here at the school. So um, absolutely, you need to come see it. Come come see our school and come see our garden.
0: Now, do the kids actually eat the food then from the garden? Oftentimes they be at lunch, or is that uh, not happening?
1: No, absolutely. They eat the herbs that we grow, the radishes, the carrots. We harvest um, Uh, Periodically, and the kids eat all of that food in their lunches, their greens, the kale, the lettuce. So um, they do. And when they pull it out of the ground and they start chomping on a radish, that's powerful. Kids will try absolutely anything when they've grown it themselves, and they relish it. They don't need dressing or salt on it. They just eat it. Our kids also eat in the garden. So they eat out in nature under the sky with the cool breeze on their face. They're not eating in a room with no windows and, um, you know, a sterile environment. So that's all part of the experience.
0: Wow. So they actually see the seed grow into the actual meal that they're consuming, and then you reprocess that back in your compost. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: That's that's the way it is. Done, and I think they're inspiring, um, you know, our generation, if you will, to do things differently.
0: Well, we're certainly this generation being on that of change, and I know you didn't go to school necessarily to be a businesswoman. Yet here you find yourself a very successful, successful businesswoman in a thriving Montessori school. What issues? are you seeing presented to yourself? In other words, why in the world wouldn't everybody just want to be in the Montessori school system? Why would they not want to just overload you? What's going on out there? If we could Uh, have a frank discussion.
1: I I honestly think that um, lots of folks, and I, I can't stereotype someone negatively, but We're all products of um, an assembly line perspective. Everything became standardized during the industrialized revolution. Um, Kids became assembly line um, situations in schools where that's how we were educating. Everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. And it's a quick and easy way of defining what's happening for my child. Give me a letter grade. Make it simple. I think... um, To make a stand and to take a stand and to actually um, live out of the box. I know that's a trite phrase, but to live out of the box and be able to take a a courageous leap of faith and offer something extraordinary for your child where maybe they're not doing it the way we grew up or they're not doing it the way we did it, but I don't think we have the luxury or the ability to continue to, develop our kids in the same manner just because we did it that way. We have a responsibility to do something different and to change. And it costs money, and it takes time. It's not the, you know, here, here's the one pager to tell you whether or not you're a good parent or if your child is good. It takes an investment. It takes volunteering. It takes partnering. It takes courage. It takes time. Um, Those are things often I think we get confused and we don't want to put in the time or we don't want to put in the extra elbow grease um, because we're stressed out. I mean, come on, let's face it. As parents, we're going 100 miles an hour in different directions. We're hit with all kinds of things in the media. And um, what should we be doing with our kids? And they've got to go to these Ivy League schools or they've got to go here or they've got to go there. I think what we have to do is we have to – teach our kids to be sound psychologically so they're good people, They have good character, and they follow their passions. And just like me, I didn't go to school and get a business degree, but I do think when you find your passion, you find the talents, you find the people, you find the courage, you find the energy, and you get the answers because it's meaningful to you. That's the kind of child we're trying to raise. Um, Not to conform to a system, but to create, to be passionate to change the world. That's what we're trying to create here. So that's what we are creating. We're not trying. We are. We just need other people to join the ranks.
0: Well, if I were to ask you your advertising budget, it's next to nothing. It, it seems that your your basis is referral business, meaning that happy parents uh, see changes in their children and decide, hey, I'm going to share this with some other folks. Is that pretty much what you have going on there for the most part
1: absolutely we have very very little uh, marketing budget we put all the money we have into the kids but our parents walk away and talk about the village here and the community and the fact that we are such a tight community we wrap around the whole family Um, we have extraordinary situations so when a family is touched by that experience through their child, for their child, and even themselves as adults, or they've made some of their best friends here, um, they want to go share that with someone. They want to make it happen for someone else, and so we continue to grow, and we grow in the ages we serve. We grow in the base of people that we have, and we offer schooling to all walks of life, and we've, I've coached many a parent about um, parenting and supporting. It's not an easy job, but we've got to do it together. So, of course, parents tell other parents about the school, and we're grateful for that.
0: You know, the exciting thing that, I, that I've come to find is that, unlike in the public school system, the parents seem to be more involved. I shouldn't say just the parents, maybe the whole family unit. Just last week you actually had a talent show of sorts, and the family was involved. Tell us about that.
1: That was extraordinary. It was our first one, but we had uh, 25 different acts and parents with their children, um, children with other children, alumni, people that work here. Um, It was just open. It was extraordinary. And the best part was there was no winners and there were no losers. Everybody was honored for their act as an individual. Um, Everybody got a ribbon at the end, and we had little kids that are, four or five years old um, singing in front of a 100 people and had no um, reservations, no anxiety. Sure, they might have had a little butterfly, but um, the fact that the entire community got together to do that and uh, everybody was celebrated, our youngest, uh, who might have been three years old all the way up to our oldest, which might have been in their 60s or 70s that's the beauty of this village and so that was friday night and it was actually a fundraiser for our elementary kids because they have to raise all their money to go on their big trips their educational trips every year so they raised six hundred and sixty dollars in their first talent show so it was awesome
0: now when you say big trips what you, you mean up to maybe somewhere here in the state down to the library or or like a big big trip
1: no actually it's um it's a big trip. It's, uh, for the upper elementary curriculum, it's part of what the children learn is there is no way, Scott, that we can teach our kids everything in these four walls of the school. It's impossible. We have to breathe outside of the walls of the school to give the kids exposure to all kinds of experiences. So we do going out, we have camping trips, they go to SkyWise for independence learning. But the older children, fourth, fifth, and sixth grades, They go on a big trip annually, and the children start off with um, groups where they propose a destination. They have to research it. They have to explore all the destinations they would go visit. How much would it cost? Where would we stay? How would we get there? And those groups propose their um, destinations in front of all of the parents and their fellow um, students. And then they vote. And this year, they voted on Hawaii as their big trip. Now, it's fun to say that um, and they originally wanted to stay at the Four Seasons but when they looked at, wow, this is how much it's going to cost to get there they had to reevaluate their position and they are now staying at a preparatory academy in a dorm
0: (laughs) but that's
1: a much more humble place and they could afford that because these kids have to raise all the money to get where they're going Um, and that's the practical life learning skills. That's what teaches them about going where they're going. It's not about the parent writing the check. Um, and these kids also manage the checkbooks. They do the Quicken um, reports so that they know this is the money in, this is the money out. And that's, that's, that's the learning process. That is the learning. So, of course, going to Hawaii is going to be fantastic, too. Last year they went to Costa Rica. So that was our one out-of-the-country visit. Next year we're going to New Zealand. So um, it's amazing how the process unfolds and these kids' horizons are just um, exposed to so many new places and that's how they become globally minded. We have to do that for our kids. We cannot stay in our, our comfortable nest. So.
0: so they're not just reading about these places, they're physically touching the sands of these
1: places. Absolutely. Fantastic. They have to touch it. They have to feel it. And it's different than a family vacation. They're learning. They're um, culturally exposed. They have to plan it out. Yeah, sure, they make some mistakes, you know, they. but that's how they learn um, is by doing. So it doesn't stop well, for, at the younger for,
0: level. For new parents and for parents that are in the public school system, how, how, how could they reach you, uh, Chantal? Uh, your website?
1: Absolutely. They can go to um, www.desertgardenmontessori.org. Um, it has a link to our blog, which you just add backslash blog to it. We're on Twitter, Facebook. Um, our doors are open Monday through Friday. We would love to see you because we love to see people's faces. Um, we'll give you a tour. Uh, we will show your child around, and I'm sure that we will have um, – an excited child, but kids never want to leave at the end of the day, so um, be prepared for that.
0: Well, I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners too may be out of out of state and in some cases out of the country, but uh, can they reach you on a landline? I know I'm going old school to ask you questions as well. How, how would they reach you on that number?
1: Absolutely four eight zero four nine six nine eight three three and Anybody that answers that phone will be happy to help you. It'll probably be Alice, but um, yeah, please call. Any any method you want to use to get a hold of us, we will respond.
0: Now you have uh, some. You have a, actually a tour too, right? Where a parent can come and actually tour the facility uh, before they make a decision.
1: Yes, actually, the process is somewhat intense, and I'll tell you why. We actually want parents to come in and tour. Um, we're not the mail order version of school so it's very interactive it's very hands on for parents and child we want you to check us out and we want to check you out and by that i mean we really want to establish like mindedness um i do not want to um you know be something i'm not to a parent so it's imperative that we interview each other so you come in and tour it's about a 45 minute tour And then you come in for an interview, and there's an application process. You fill out the application, come in for an interview. Your child goes into the classroom, so we get a chance to be with your child, and um, you get a chance to have feedback from the parent or the teachers. And then I visit with the incoming parents just to have a great conversation. I just finished one today at 9 o'clock, and it was a, a delightful conversation where we really build that synergy of, are we on the same page?, What's more important than your child? So um, we start the process early on. And then after that, you enroll and um, begin the journey.
0: Well, we often talk about you must have personal missions in life to achieve that and what you're seeking. At what point do we do that with our children? And who's obligated to provide that for our children? We know our current levels of happiness and success are determined oftentimes by our current disciplines and habits. And it sounds to me clearly that the Montessorian way is instilling those disciplines and habits at a very, very young age, certainly in a modeling habit sense. And so at a young age, they don't have to change their disciplines and habits. Whereas maybe we as young adults and old adults have to change our, our, our disciplines and habits to reach new levels of success. Chatel, it has been a wonderful time with you. Thank you for sharing what you have done, what you're doing to help make our world, and I do mean our world plural to all you listeners as well, our world a better place, because you're teaching the most precious gift we as parents have, and as humans have, our children. And so we thank you very much for your commitment. We thank you very much for your dedication. And most of all, We thank you for your missions and visions in this world. Thank you, Chatelle Walters of Desert Garden Montessori.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thank you, everybody.